Here today, um, Pew Potatoes is always an exciting day to come to church, and a little bit of snow makes it even more exciting, and there's something more delicious about the potatoes when it's really cold and terrible outside. Um, but just a thanks to Bill McDonald's who is here, nice and early shoveling and salting, and I heard some other scraping throughout my Sunday school class, and maybe somebody else was out there as well. Uh, but you'll see there there is a need, it was up there before, for people to shovel and clear out um, the church before people show up. Worship team's here pretty early, but we got to practice as well. Um, so if you just see like, oh, it's going to be pretty bad out, and you're able to get here a little early, um, talk to, who are we going to talk to about? Maybe we'll do a sign-up or something, or one of the trustees. trustees. Yeah, maybe one of the trustees can put that together. But if you're capable and able to shovel or throw some salt out there, it's a big help in the mornings to get that done. Um, and also just a thank you to like people who do the potato prep, you know? Uh, I think Stephanie and Lynette and other Kathy, people, Kathy, Kathy um, that's a big help for all the things that we love. Pastor Don and other people who come to the church when the power's out and make sure the church doesn't freeze and the water lines don't go and... Um, there's just so many things that are done just to have us all here in a warm building and enjoying food together and having clean floors and a clean church. So we thank everybody who's been a part of that. And if you want to be a part of that, there's always more room available. Um, let's see. Also, I noticed as I was driving in that the driveway down is going to be super exciting so I really recommend you stay boring and go out the other driveway. Um, otherwise, you'll end up in the neighbor's lawn with a car behind you really, really close. So close, they touch. So, yeah. I recommend going out that driveway unless you want a really exciting morning. Um, any other announcements to make this morning? Anything that's not in here? Pay attention to... If you're a junior church, if you're a nursery, whatever that is, you got a week in advance notice. Um, so like Andrew Menser, he's a junior church helper today. Art and Wendy, they're in the nursery today. Um, cleaning schedule, uh, Pauline Moss. Next week, Jim Zarpentine. You get a good look ahead at all those things. So pay attention to that in your bulletin as well. Anything else that we need to announce this morning? All right. Turn your new books to 500 and... Oh. Man, there's a lot of electric up here. Oh, you do have the video? Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's supposed to happen now. So we're having a video, and you can tell them what that is. Okay.
admissions committee has been looking into supporting a, a pregnancy center and the options care center is in Jamestown and I haven't been there to visit yet if anyone would like to go visit with me sometime um, I was going to make an appointment and go visit that place but I've heard a lot about Erie but be nice to to um, support one in our county so that was a sanctity of life month and they sent that video for us to play and I appreciate them sending information. I, we never got information from them before, so it's nice to know that we can be involved in one here in, right in Jamestown in our own county. Okay, now I'm in order. Just whack it with your knuckles. Sorry, I, uh, that last shock was pretty difficult. Okay, 515, near the cross. Jesus, keep me near the cross, there a precious fountain, free to all the healing stream, close from Calvary's mountain, in the cross, in the cross, be my glory. today is 2nd Peter chapter 3 verses 8, 9, and 10 today. And part of what we're going to touch on is um, the choice of God and salvation. And one of the things that hits us pretty hard is something that 
uh, you may not have thought of before, but it's just the prayer of Jesus himself when he's talking to the Father in John chapter 17. And the fun thing about this passage is that not only does he pray for his disciples, but he also prays for all believers. So it's just wonderful to hear Jesus praying for you and praying about what he would have for you and praying about his hopes for you and praying about his father's interaction with you and praying about his love for you. And so I wanted to read that for you this morning as Jesus prays first for himself, then for his disciples, and then he prays for all believers as well. And it's a very good just to hear Jesus praying these things. If you wonder too, uh, what should prayer be like? What should my prayer be like? Well, why not learn from Christ as he prays? <clears throat> After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. 
I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Turn your hymn bowls to 598, Standing on the Promises. Number 598. <clears throat> Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let us praise His reign. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises, standing on the promises, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing on the promises, standing on the promises, I'm standing on the promises of Promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises, standing on the promises, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing on the promises, standing on the promises. Promises of Christ our Lord, bound to Him eternally with a strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises, standing on the promises, standing on the promises of God's my Savior, standing on the promises, standing on the promises. today if there are any prayer requests or praises that you have. Glad to have them. I start cataract surgery this week. I have Thursday this week and then a couple weeks later the other eye. This is supposed to be routine, but just mm-hmm. weather getting there can be a challenge. Yeah. I wouldn't have said this. Supposed to be routine, but I'm getting 
Caitlin did not have her surgery this last week, but it's scheduled for this coming week, right? Yeah. Do we have any? Um, continue to pray for Jane Blystone. Uh, she had her oral reconstruction, bone reconstruction in her mouth, uh, but she has developed an infection in there. And so she's on antibiotics. Um, she hasn't had solid food in probably, I don't know, six months now, maybe. Um, so that's a, a big reconstructive surgery she's been having with her. I'd like to praise God. Um, today in Sunday school, we were talking about glorifying God and, and, you know, what do we know about God that would make us glorify him anyway. And they started just shouting out all these different Bible stories. And, you know, they just wanted, once they got in a roll, they just kept going and going and going and going. And I just praised God for his word and that it sticks in their head. And then I said, these, Scarlett said, these, what? These aren't stories. These are real. I said, yeah, they really, this is God's history of what he's done in the world. And it's true. It's, I said, can you imagine if we walked across um, Lake Erie with the water pushed back and went to Canada on dry ground and God protected us with, you know, a, a column of fire behind us or whatever, you know. And they were like, wow, you know, that all made it seem so real. And I just praise God for his word and that children can understand it. And we can understand it. We can praise him for all the wondrous things that, are, that he has done up till now. But then I asked them, what could they praise God for now? And it got pretty quiet, kind of like it does in here sometimes on a Sunday morning. But Vera did say, you know, my mom's having a baby. And then I watched that uh, video, and I'm thinking, you know, that's a miracle too. And that's God working among us right now. And there's so many other things. So be thinking about what those things are. Every day, it's a wonder. Our salvation alone is a wonder. I don't know how many of you remember Bill and Mary Dunlop. Years ago, they moved to Florida. They were very active in the church back then. He was a deacon and was very, was a very faithful family. And I appreciate him a lot. We usually all around Christmas time, and that's about the only contract we had with them for the past several years. But I called them several times on Christmas and since, and, and they finally called me back, I think it was yesterday, and, and I talked to Mary, and, and Bill had died back in August. So she's the one who was the Lord and all that, but she's doing pretty well down there. So it was uh, good to talk to her and hear something about them. Many of you probably don't know him, but some of the older ones are here. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you that we can gather together and worship you. We thank you that the power is on, and that the He is on, and that we can enjoy those modern conveniences that we often don't think about until they are missing. We thank you for fellow believers that have been a blessing in our life, such as the Dunlops have been with the Woolets, and somebody who many of us here don't, don't know, but they've 
had an impact on those around them, and they are still our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we can have hope in the grave for those who've passed knowing you. We think of all the different physical needs that will be happening here soon. Don with his cataract surgery, we pray that that would be a routine surgery for him, and we just pray that uh, we might have opportunities to, to serve him in that time. We pray, pray for Glenn and his seemingly routine root canal, that that would go according to routine for him, Lord, that even in the midst of dental pain, he would still serve you. And we pray as well for, for Caitlin and her upcoming surgery as well, Lord, that that would go well. We think of Jane and this ongoing struggle she has been having with this reconstructive surgery. Pray that that would be resolved, but even in the midst of this difficulty, she would still find it within her to pray you, to praise you, and to serve you even, even in hard times, Lord. We thank you for the ministry that is ongoing with the, the young children of this church and that they, they are learning the scriptures and they are knowing them and that they are seeing God working in them. Um, help them to, to realize that those, those things have applications in our lives today and that you are continuing to work today. Um, we thank you for the opportunity to share our meal this afternoon together and in fellowship and just praise you for all the goodness and mercy that you show us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing our worship songs now. And from what I hear, the children are coming up again. I can't so, stop them anymore. They are praise warriors, these ones. They love to be up here praising the Lord. First song will be holy forever.
sing this morning will be Behold Our God. Praises for the Lord to the Lord for who He is and remembering, reminding ourselves as we sing.
thank you, Father. Thank you for these amazing songs, the opportunity to sing praises to you. We're grateful how they reflect the Word of God and and our reminder to us of how great a God you are, that we might sing these praises to you and, and be excited about the God who has taken us into his family and made us his children. Help us today to worship you by hearing your word as well and by responding to that, opening our hearts up to the work you'll do in our lives. And we'll praise you for this day in your son's precious name. Amen. Those ages four to seven may be dismissed to junior church. You can turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. Today, specifically, we'll be looking at verses 8 through 10. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 7, and so we'll continue from there. Let's pray together before we begin. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you how the Old Testament speaks of your return how it prophesied of a Messiah coming, where you would be born, what your name would be called, Lord, what you would do on the cross for your people. God, I pray uh, as well, thanking you for the New Testament, for those apostles and for those preachers, for Christ who spoke to multitudes and quietly to his disciples and prayed alone, for the angels who declared that Christ would Come again, just as he left. God, we pray that we would be reminded of these things and that we would see clearly when others would say, oh, the earth has always been the same way and it'll never be any different and Christ is not going to return, that we would say, you're wrong. You're wrong for a number of reasons. All that scripture applies. God, I thank you for this opportunity that we come together to hear the word preached, to hear the word read, to be able to be discerning as we study it, to be able to hear it in our own language. God, I thank you for a chance myself to study the scriptures and to grow from them and to learn probably more in doing so than many who listen today. I just enjoy that time and I thank you for that. I pray, God, that you will continue to teach us to continue to be patient with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Many people want Jesus to return right now. Let me ask you a question. How many people would go to hell if Jesus returned right now? How about tomorrow? How about 100 years from now? 400 years from now? 1,000 years from now? What if he had returned five years ago? Where would you be going? 10, 20, 40, 60 80, 100, where would you be? What if it was your parents? He came in their lifetime, et cetera, et cetera. The people wanted Christ to return, but the consequences of his return are brutal, salvific. Great justice will be poured out. 
Great mercy will be shown to his children. But the question you have to ask, and part of the thing that he speaks to here is, when Christ returns, that's it. So as we call for Christ's return, you might not have wanted it 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, because you were not in Christ. Christ is very patient to return for a very specific reason. Peter's been repeating throughout his second letter that the Lord will return. He's shown that the Old Testament, the apostles, the prophets, Jesus, the angels, they all spoke of his return and that you should be reminded of this, that you should have this in your mind, that your mind should be rightly focused in the truth of the scripture. And I encourage us that we should also have our minds rightly focused in the scriptures, knowing that the Old Testament speaks of it, the New Testament speaks of it. Peter's proven his point. He will return. There was a flood. The earth did change. God had wiped everything out by water. He will do it again by fire when he returns. So then the people might finally believe, okay, he will return, but when? When will he return? Since the beginning of Scripture, since Genesis, the people have been wondering when? Who is this seed that will crush the serpent's head? When will he come? Abraham wondering, when will I have a son? When will you fulfill these promises? Noah waiting, when will the flood come? When will there be dry land? There's been constant waiting all throughout scripture. And God has always fulfilled his promises. Waiting for Christ to return is not the first waiting in scripture. And it is also not the first thing that God has promised to fulfill. And so if you look at the pattern of Scripture, God makes a promise. Then there is time, and he fulfills his promise. God makes a promise that the Israelites will spend a time in slavery, and they do. And for hundreds of years, saying, when will we be free? And it's funny because when they are freed, what do they want to do? Go back. It's better. We're used to that now. Yeah, he made a promise. Yeah, he's fulfilling his part, but things were nice back then when we had food every day and shelter every day and got used to it every day. And God was blessing us there. But God fulfills his promises, and he is not slow to fulfill his promises as we think of slowness. So remember that as well as you look into the scriptures that God has been asked the question over and over again, how long will you wait? How long will you be patient with this people? Why not destroy them now? Jonah, angry that God would save the Ninevites. Why not just wipe them out now? And us saying, Christ, when will you return? Knowing full well that the return of Christ is the end of salvation for anyone else. That's it. Verse 8 is where we're going to start today. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. I just want to focus on, again, this point that he makes of saying beloved, or dear friends, specific friends. You all have friends, you all have acquaintances, but dear friends are something different. 
Beloved is something different. There's a deep relationship there, a deep understanding there. You know my likes, my wants, my needs, my desires. I know yours as well. We each trying to care for one another very specifically, not generically. Like, hey, I brought you a pie today. Well, I don't like peaches, I don't like, and I'm gluten-free. A dear friend knows all of those things and makes the perfect pie. The point is that Jesus knows you full well as well. And what Peter is saying is beloved, dear friends. And in 1 Peter, he says those elect of God. He's talking to a very specific group of people, Christians. Christians who are being pushed around by these false teachers. Christians who are waiting for the return of their Lord. Christians who are known as the elect, known as the chosen, known as beloved or dear friends of God. And he repeats this over and over again because they need to be assured that Christ loves them even in their suffering. This is right after Christ has died. There has been trials and tribulations throughout. There's been a dispersion of the people. There's been a running for their lives. This church is trying to put themselves together, trying to figure out how do we do this together? How do we love one another together? How do we live as Christ together? How do we do all of these things? It would be so much easier if Christ would just return what has taken so long. What in the world has taken so long? And he says, well, remember this. A day is like a thousand years to God, and a thousand years is like one day to God. We discussed a little bit of this last week. It's like a child in a car with no concept of time. How long till we get there? Three hours. Three hours means nothing to a child. It's hard for them to tick it off. It's hard for them to look at their watch every two seconds. How long is a second? It depends on what's happening after that second. Right? If I said to my kids, go upstairs, I will spank you in about five minutes. Time changes. Then if I say, hey, go up to your room, in about five minutes, I'll bring you a cupcake. One seems like forever. One seems like a split second. Like Christmas for an adult. Christmas is going to be here in about four days to an adult. To a child, it's four centuries before Christmas is coming. This year, I remember, uh, it's just a few weeks away. And the kids are like, hey, we're going to start presents uh, in a couple weeks. And I was like, excuse me? Presents in a couple weeks. To me, like time was just flying to the kids. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's the same is true with God, who has no beginning and has no end. A day, a thousand years, all the same, all the same. And we're sitting here going, man, it's taking forever. But we get a taste of that in our human existence where time, even though it keeps ticking, feels really slow in some situations and really fast in other situations. And so God is reminding us, it may seem like a long time, but look through the scriptures. God is not slow to fulfill his promises. As some count slowness. He has fulfilled every single one, just not when you want not how you want, not what you expect necessarily. And it's for your best, for your good, for his glory, if you are in Christ. This is very important to remember as we go through the scriptures and says, in fact, this is what he says. This one fact I want you to remember. This one fact I want you to remember. So every time you get impatient, remember this. 
it's really fast. It's coming really quick. With God, it's but a day. Even though for you, it seems like a thousand years. So then the question is, okay, we know he's coming. We know it feels like he's taking a sweet time, but he's not. We know consistently throughout scripture, he has fulfilled his promises. And so then he will return. But why then, the question being asked and answered is, why then is he taking so long? And this is what I want to focus on most of my time on today. Why does God take so long to return? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Who is the you in this passage? The Lord is not slow to fulfilling his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. The subject of these letters every time has been the Christians, has been the Christians in these churches, has been his beloved, has been his dear friends. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So that any refers to the you. God is not wishing that any of you should perish, that any of these Christians should perish, but that all of you should come to repentance and faith in Christ. So why does God take so long? Because he is patient, wishing that none of his beloved would perish, but that all would come to repentance and faith. When I am discussing God's choice and election, which is found all throughout scriptures, it's hard not to go through a New Testament passage or even an Old Testament passage without seeing the choice of God. This one is often thrown out quickly. Yes, but God wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance in him. If you tie this, however, to its context in the return of Jesus Christ, how long would God have to wait before all people come to repentance and faith? He would have already failed. He should have already been here. He will never return. Because will everyone repent and put their faith and trust in Christ? Absolutely not. How do we know? Scripture says it over and over again. Many will perish. Few will find the way. So if what this passage is saying is that Jesus Christ is being patient so that everyone in the world comes to repentance, or he wishes none would perish, but that all will come to repentance, well then he has failed and he will never come. If this passage is saying he's just hoping that a lot of people will come, and so he's waiting a while. He has no exact number. He just wishes that all would come to repentance. Well, that doesn't make any sense either. So when is he going to return then? What is he doing? Just like rubbing his hands together nervously, hoping that enough people repent till he hits his quota, whatever that quota is? No. God is in full control of saving his people from the beginning of Scripture all the way to the end, of saving his beloved, of saving those who are his. In the prayer that we listen to in John chapter 17, Jesus is explicit. 
All those the Father has given to me, I have lost none of them. And that is great hope for you. That is great hope for me. That if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, it is because the Father has chosen you, and Jesus will not lose you. As I've said before, if you could do anything to lose your salvation, you would have done it a second ago. You'll do it 12 more times today if your salvation is up to you. What God does is he makes you alive and he gives you a choice. And when he makes you alive, your only choice, your only desire is to serve Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at some scriptures that speak to that. Because what I don't want is I don't want anyone in here to think that when I speak of God's choosing, that, well, God just hasn't chosen me, so whatever, I'm just going to leave right now. God demands that you repent and put your faith and trust in Christ, but it is also God who makes you alive. It says that we are all dead in our trespasses and sins in which we all walked, but God made us alive in him. That we were once blind and he gave us eyes to see. We were once deaf and he gave us ears to hear. He gave us. He gave us. He gave us. He chose us. You need to pound that in there if you want to understand this scripture. The scripture only makes sense in light of God's choosing to save a particular people for himself. And so, yes, today God does choose to save people. But today you have to make a choice. Do I put my faith in myself or do I put my faith in Christ? Do I believe he is who he says he is or do I believe it's a lie? Decide this day who you will serve. You only serve two masters. You serve Satan or you serve Christ. There is no middle ground. Scripture has no third way. There is no one who's hoping to get to God and God is holding them back. Everyone is running away from God at full speed towards hell and he saves some. How do I know that's true? Matthew 11, verses 25 to 28. Now I have all of these verses in the ESV because that's how they were all saved on my computer. That's every single Bible thing that I have is ESV and all the power, internet, and LTE went out of my house. Not power, but internet and every service. So it's all in ESV. Um, so as you're reading through, if you have NIV or KJV, so be it. <laughs> Here's what the ESV says. And you'll see it's almost identical. Matthew 11, verse 25 to 28. At that time, Jesus declared, listen closely, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Pause there. Jesus is thanking the Father for hiding the truth from certain people and thanking the Father for revealing the truth to certain people. Could you pray that prayer? Thank you, God, for hiding the truth from certain people. Thank you, God, for revealing the truth to certain people. The point of this passage here is to say that those little children will give all glory to God for their salvation. They will not say, I was so smart. I was so great. I was so humble. I was so 
They have nothing to say in their salvation. It would be like my child drowned in the ocean. I jump in to save them and they say, man, it's a good thing I'm a good little swimmer. That would be dumb of my child to say. They were drowning in the ocean. I dove in and I saved them. This is like saying God did not save the strong swimmer. He saved those who would say, to God be the glory alone in salvation. To my father alone who swam into the ocean, who saw me in my need, who saw the tidal wave approaching while I was just floating around on my little floaty in the ocean and pulled me out, who took the full weight of the tidal wave on his back to save me. This is what he's saying here. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him to. Who makes the choice in your salvation? God makes the first choice. I will save you. And then you will happily choose Christ. If he has not chosen you, you will not ever happily choose Christ. You will continue to run the direction you were going before. Now, can I cry out in the streets, you need to repent and put your faith in Christ? Yes. Can they hear it with their ears? Yes. But not the ears of faith, not the ears that have been made well, not the eyes that have been given by God. They will still be blind and deaf, even as they hear me saying words. John 6, 35 to 40 says this. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me and you don't believe. You see, all that the Father gives me will come to me. They will. And whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. I love how it shows both parts. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And if you come to me, I will not cast you out. What's step number one? The Father gives you to the Son. And the Son does not cast you out. The Father gives you to the Son and you choose to follow him. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, Jesus says, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. This is the will of God the Father that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. I will lose not one that the Father has given to me. Not one. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is clearly teaching there is a group of people the Father is giving to the Son, and all those that the Father gives to the Son, the Son loses none of them. Jesus does not fail his mission from the Father. He fulfills it to the T, flawlessly. As it continues in John 6, 60 to 65, 
He's talking about eat my flesh, drink my blood. The disciples hear this, they're like, hold on a minute, what are we talking about here? When he says disciples, he doesn't just mean the 12, he means those people who are following him, who are learning from him, who are, who are hearing these things. When many of his disciples, they heard this, they said this, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? I love this question. Is that all you, you're confused by this whole blood and, and my body and all these parts? Well, what if you saw the Son of Man ascend into heaven, which he's going to do and they're going to see? Then what would you do? He says, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and they're life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And now we get a peek into the mind of Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. You see, Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe. He knew that from the beginning, those who did not believe. And who it was who would betray him. So he knew about all these people here who would not believe and who would betray him. And this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless what? Unless they repent and believe? Yes, but prior to that, no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by who? By the Father. It could not be clearer in Scripture, all over Scripture. So yes, you must believe. Who acts first? God. Dead men do not act. They lay. Blind men do not make themselves see. They beg. It is God who makes them see and gives them ears to hear and raises them from the dead. And praise God for that. You have no hope otherwise. Acts 13, 44 through 48 says this. And this is a great passage. I think I've touched on this a little bit, but this is just a wonderful passage for the Gentiles, meaning us. So for so long, the Gentiles have been told, Jews are the chosen people of God. We enter the temple. We have the altar. We have the sacrifice. We have the circumcision. We have the promises. We have, we have, we have. And you Gentiles are dogs. And so I love this passage when you realize for so long the Gentiles said there is no hope for us. But I love that glimpse in the Old Testament of Rahab and others who see Christ and who are saved by Christ and who are just astounded by God's willingness to bring them in to make a people that are not his own, his own. And here's a glimpse of it in the New Testament. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city, they gathered to hear the words of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict that was spoken by Paul, reviling him. But Paul and Barnabas, they spoke boldly. So Paul and Barnabas are preaching. They're preaching in the temples. Crowds are coming to hear this gospel. What is this message? And the teachers who love to have people sit around 
because they're so wise and they know the scriptures and they have the scrolls and it's been handed down orally to them and, and they're the few that can read and have the opportunity to get to these scrolls and get to the word. And so they were used to people coming to them. Well, now who is this Paul and who is this Barnabas taking all these people? So they start to contradict what they're saying. And Paul and Barnabas, they spoke out boldly. They say this, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Necessary. Scripture said this would happen. Since you thrust it aside and since you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This to the Gentiles is profound. Because now they are hearing that the gospel is for them. Salvation is for them. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying God that this message was for them. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Which was first? They were appointed to eternal life and then they believed. Appointed by who? By themselves? No, by God. There is no other distinction to be made. How do we know who's appointed to eternal life? They believe the gospel. That's how we know. If you have believed the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again and is coming again and has given you life and peace, total forgiveness of sins, that you have a mediator between you and God the Father, then you have been given a great gift. You have been chosen by God. And should you become proud and say, I was chosen because I was the most humble, he says, no, you were chosen because I love you. Not because you were awesome, but in fact, it says, I loved you while you were dead in trespasses and sins. I chose you while you were dead in trespasses and sins. While you were running away from me, I chose to save you. All glory to God in that salvation. No one was running towards God. There's none who are righteous, none who seek after God. Zero. Notice too that whenever we talked about in John 17 as Jesus is praying, he gets to the end of that and he says, except for the son of perdition, the one who is destined to betray me, the one that the scripture spoke of. Who's it talking about? Judas. Judas is exactly who he's talking about. So just as God causes some people not to hear the truth and not to believe and thanks the Father for it, Jesus thanks the Father for it, so is Judas condemned before he's even born. Wrestle with that. You must wrestle with these things and not hide from them. They're in scripture, plain as can be. Romans 9 just like lays it out over and over again. All the questions you would have. Why then does God find fault with me for not believing? He didn't choose me. And then how does it answer that? Who are you to answer back to God? Who is the clay to say to the potter, why have you made me like this? The interesting part is that those who are not being saved will never say, God, I just wish you would reveal yourself to me. They want nothing to do with God. 
They're not crying in the corner because God has not chosen them. They hate God. You either love God or you hate God. There is no middle ground. You say, well, what about the Buddhists? It seems like they kind of love God. No, they hate God because they hate Christ. They do not want him. They want to work for their own salvation. They want a sampling of righteousness. And so they beat their bodies into submission, somehow thinking that will please God. When Christ's body was beaten already, it would be like someone handing you a gift and you handing them $400. And the gift was worth billions, trillions of dollars. And you being like, here's 400 bucks. I don't need your money. I never wanted it in the first place. Not only that, it's like this. You have nothing to give. So why are you boasting in anything when you receive this wonderful gift of salvation? You have done nothing to deserve it. Romans 8, 28 through 30. Who is involved in your salvation? This is what it says. We know that for those who love God, those who are Christians, those who have been called according to his purpose, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Called by who? By God. According to whose purpose? His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, meaning he knew you before, not foreknowing in scripture, specifically here, does not mean I know what you will do in the future. It means I know you personally, intimately. Foreknowledge of God means I know you now, before you're even born. Whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Predestined, you punch it in your GPS, that's where you're going. That's where you're going to end up. God has predestined his children to get to a particular place, which is salvation. He knew that ahead of time. He predestined it to happen, to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, and this is great for you, those who are saved, those who are predestined. This is why we believe in eternal security. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then it leads into Romans 9. So getting back, let's just jump right back into the Romans 9 again. Or not Romans 9, 2 Peter 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So what is he saying? In light of all of scripture, in light of the context of this passage, what he is saying is this. The reason Christ has not returned yet is because he doesn't will or wish that any of his beloved perish, but that all of them will come to repentance, and they will. When will Christ return? When all that he has chosen are saved. He is not wondering. He is not wringing his hands. He is not hoping that you will choose him. He knows all that will choose him. He knew them ahead of time. He predestined them to salvation. And you are still responsible to put your faith and trust in him. Because you are just the clay. And who, can you, who are you to say to the Father, why have you made me like this? 
Many people have perished, not all have repented. Therefore, they were either saved before they died or they were not his, and Christ still has not returned. The all in this passage is referring to God's beloved, to God's elect, to God's chosen in the context, not to the whole world. If I asked you today, let's say everyone in our church membership was here today and said, is everyone here? You would say, yes. Is everyone in the whole world here? No. This passage, when it talks about the patience of the Lord, that all should come to faith. We know that all do not come to faith or repentance in Christ. Therefore, the all means all who will believe. He is waiting for all those who will believe to come to him, all those who will repent to come to him, and then he will return. Just like in the days of Noah, God was very patient. allowing Noah time to build the ark so that he would be saved. And then the flood, just like with Lot, gave that place so many chances and then told Lot, get out now, and then wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah. In the same way, God is very patient towards us, his elect. And he is patient with all those who will come to him. But when he returns, that will be it. Praise God that he has not returned. Praise God when he does return. In the same way God is patient with his elect, will not return to all of his chosen ones has come to repentance and faith in him. We should praise God that he is patient with us. (coughs) That he waited. It didn't come five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, before we had put our faith in Christ. Verse 10, but one day, (coughs) the day of the Lord will come, and it'll be like a thief. Most break-ins or robberies happen at about roughly 3, 4 in the morning. Why? Because you're in your deepest sleep. People have Googled it. They know it. They know you're out cold. That's when the door gets broken into because you are unaware and unready. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. You're not going to get much warning. There won't be much of a heads up. So this is your warning. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth, and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Christ will return when all of his children have been brought in through repentance and faith in Christ. Christ will return at the perfect time. Christ will return like a thief when we do not expect it. So we know that Christ is returning. Got it. We know why Christ is not here yet. Because he is very patient. He's waiting for all to come to repentance and faith that are his. So the question is, what then do we do until the day that he returns? And that's what we'll discuss next week. So you can read ahead. It's right there. You can all take a Bible home today. (laughs) And that's what we'll talk about next week. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word, for those who are bold enough to proclaim it throughout the centuries. And we thank you for faithful men and women who have taught it to their children and their children's children and continue to this day to teach 
the gospel to their children, to teach the whole story, both Old and New Testament, to speak of your coming, to speak of your rising, to speak of your return, to speak of your healings and your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace and your justice and your wrath, your gentleness. God, we thank you that you are a God who knows suffering, who knows weakness, who knows patience. We thank you that you are a God that became flesh and walked among us. And we look forward to the day when we can see you face to face and thank you that you would choose a wretched sinner like me to be your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your hymn books to 529. Number 529. We're going to sing the first and third verse. First and third verse. Day by day and with each passing moment Strength I find to meet my trials here Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment I've no cause for worry or for fear He whose heart is kind beyond all measure Gives unto each day what he deems best Lovingly it's part of pain and pleasure Mingling toil with peace and rest Help me then in every tribulation So to trust thy promises, O Lord that I lose not faith's sweet consolation Offered me within thy holy word Help us, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting Ere to take as from a father's hand One by one the days, the moments fleeting Till I reach the promised land Gracious Father, thank you for your word. Help us as we, as we study it, as we chew on it, as we meditate and try to understand your word, that you would give us, your children, peace and comfort enjoy the hope that we have in our salvation that one day we will be in your presence. Thank you that as we walk through the life, you continue to walk with us, helping us to get through every trial and tribulation because we know of your presence and of your strength and grace. So Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the time we have afterwards to to fellowship together and eat together. Thank you for the opportunity to praise you in song and by hearing your word. 
We just want to praise you in your son's name and because of him. Amen. Dismissed. Don't forget, lots of potatoes. Eat.